Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. We, we're in the same place. Like, this is a real-life podcast recording. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in a hotel in Chicago? Naperville. And we are uh, recording the podcast live in person while in the background, I think the movie Hotel Transylvania is playing. You just keep us up to date on what's happening because I can't see it. Oh, don't worry. Uh, events are occurring. Since we last uh, potted, Hank, my, my new book, Turtles All the Way Down, was published. Yes, it happened. And, and I'm so grateful to you for taking a month away from your life to tour with the book. Um, and, and a and week away me. from the pod. I'm sorry that we didn't get an episode out it, last it was, week. It, I'm sorry, too, because I, I, that meant one week where I wasn't able to share reviews of the book. But don't worry, I'm going to share them now. Oh, is that what the whole podcast is going to be? No, not the whole podcast. Just <laughs> the first 40 minutes. Then we'll get to questions from our listeners. Uh I hope you guys like the book. Thanks to everybody who pre-ordered it um, and, and everybody who is reading it now. I'm so grateful and overwhelmed and also still somewhat afraid about this whole thing. But the New York Times <laughs> did call it wrenching and revelatory and the Wall Street Journal called it tender, wise and hopeful. Um, there, there were really lovely reviews all, all around. The Guardian said it might, uh, might be a modern classic. The Globe and Mail said that I, I didn't create a book so much as a place. A place to have your most indefinable and grotesque thoughts articulated. I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but I like it. Yeah, I feel like I should be reading these because it sounds more authentic coming from, from me rather than from you. But it's already happened. Yeah, there's no going what back. Did, what did Vox call it? Uh, not not so much a teen romance as, an, as a... Existential teenage scream? Yeah, that was, I liked that one a lot. Yeah, well, Good. we're not quoting from the bad reviews, but there have only been a couple of those, to be fair. I got... <laughs> Can I read to you some of my one-star Amazon reviews, please? Oh, man, this should be a whole podcast, just talking to authors about their one-star Amazon Amazon reviews. All right, are you ready, Hank? Uh Uh-huh. One star. Just to be clear, my copy was stolen, and I haven't read it yet. 
Thank you. Thank you for leaving that one-star review. Oh, my God. That's it? That's the whole thing? Um, that's not... This one-star review. Are you okay. ready? Uh-huh. So far, there's only... I'm, I'm encouraging more of these, but there's only four one-star reviews. The book is 90% five- and four-star reviews, but the... the okay. Um, the, the, my favorite one-star review is, that's going to be a no for me from Jacqueline, whose entire review... I'm going to read it to you right now. This is the review in its entirety. Not F. Scott. I think that I think that Jacqueline means that I'm not F. Scott Fitzgerald. In which case, like, I strongly agree. Uh huh. And also, if you thought that you were getting The Great Gatsby, it's a one star book. Yeah. Well, the thing is, The Great The Great Gatsby is available. Like, you could get it. You could yeah. go get. But 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 F. Scott Fitzgerald, little known fact, not currently writing. Not available. Unavailable for future engagements from now until the end of the human species in eight weeks. Let's get to some questions from our listeners. It's <laughs> a question that comes from Haley who asks, no short poem for us? No. Dear Hank and John, I am a young writer and I really love writing stories and essays and all that stuff, but I hate letting other people read my work. I hate sharing it. Yeah, I can relate, Haley. I feel like I'm giving tiny pieces of my soul to everyone who looks at my writing and that didn't turn out well for Voldemort. Well, I mean, it turned out okay for him. He it didn't, turned out he, he better didn't die. for Voldemort than if yeah. he'd kept his soul that. in one place. That's true, yes. I think you might have misread the book, Haley. Well, I'm, we're not encouraging fracturing your soul and placing it inside of objects through murder, uh, but it... It will, it, works. Keep, it will, yeah. Just like just like drinking unicorn blood, it will keep you alive. It's a strategy. Uh, so please, how do I get comfortable sharing my stories with other people? Any dubious advice is greatly appreciated. It's not rainy. It's not snowy. It's Haley. Oh, that's a great name-specific sign-off, Haley. Here's the thing: you don't have to get comfortable with it if you don't want to. You don't have to share your work. But the fact that you're asking the question makes me think that you want on some level to share your work, but you also are terrified of responses to it, and it does feel like you feel very, I mean, I well, I won't speak for you, Haley. I feel very exposed um, with this book in particular, but with all of my books, like, I feel very exposed when the book first comes out and very scared and very much like, you know, I am available for criticism that would eviscerate me and it would be hard for me not to let that uh, hit mm -hmm. me in the deepest parts of myself. Um, and, and that should be the case because what you're writing or what you're working on in your life, like it should matter to you. And so, you know, so you should want to make it for people as a gift if you, if you want to write for an audience. And it is sad if people don't accept the gift or if they don't like it. It's a mm -hmm. bummer. Um, but also, I, I guess just two things. First off, you make it as a gift and like a good gift you're not looking for somebody to say like oh I loved this because you didn't make it for them to love it you made it as a gift and you did your best and as long mm -hmm. as you can say that I think you're in the clear and secondly your life is not your work and you're gonna be okay even if people don't like your writing which by the way they probably will yeah you gotta share or else you you will be your only reader I like and and you will be the only person giving you any feedback, um, and that is not how to grow as a as a creator. If you want to if you want to be growing, yeah, I mean, part of how you get better is by negative feedback, as uncomfortable as that is. And I think I've actually benefited a lot from negative feedback to my books in the past, and uh, to some extent already from this book. So I think you've got to listen 
Um, and but it is hard. I'm not, I don't want to minimize how hard it is because it is hard. This question comes from Hannah, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, I've made a horrible mistake. I like a lady, so we were texting. She's very sweet and nice, and I've known her for years, but we just started texting yesterday. I was telling my friend about her and my mushy feelings when I looked down. On an iPhone, you can take voice memos by pressing down, and they send where you let go. I have sent this memo to her. It is of my voice saying my mushy feelings for her. She has not responded, and I am very scared. Amor winket omnia. That means love conquers all. Hannah, do you know what? Uh, oh man! In the in the quote, what comes after love conquers all? What? Let me read it from the inside of my wedding ring. <laughs> Dork. Et no sedamus amore. But and so we shall yield to it. Oh. Oh yeah, that's good stuff. Um, Hannah, you seem to have found yourself in the plot of a romantic comedy. The good news, Hannah, is that one day you're going to be able to mine this for a great story. The bad yeah. news is you're going to have to burn this sucker to the ground, walk away, and never speak to this person ever again. I mean, you just got to look around and, like, is Zach Braff there? Like, are you yeah. like, like, are you at a bar with all of your buds? Uh we're like, oh, I feel anxious just answering this question. Honestly, I mean, well, so here's here's what I think. I think the the there's a great chance that this voice memo was unintelligible because every time I get a butt dial, I'm like, what are they saying? I don't know, and I hang up. So it's good good chance that it was just rustling noises, and the person was like, oh, clearly it's a butt dial. So Hank, I think it's possible. If that were the case, I think you would have gotten a reply text that was like, I think you butt dialed me or Maybe. butt texted me. I don't think that you would have gotten no reply at all. I think the no reply at all, I don't want to... But isn't it like maybe a cute little origin story for their fledgling relationship? Here's the other thing, Hank. It's been seven weeks since Santa sent this email. So I think <laughs> now she knows. Probably worked itself out. But when this happens again... Yes. ...in a future episode of How I Met Your Mother... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think when it happens to you, my feeling is you've got to go aggressively... Um, you've got to immediately say that was an accident. Yeah, I am really sorry. So this happened to me once. Yeah, with a TV network that will go unnamed. Where I they, do. Yes, they sent Hank and I an offer to be on their new TV network, to be a TV stars on their TV <laughs> network. And you know, Hank and I didn't know much about Hollywood then, and we thought the offer would be for a lot of money, and it would be tempting. We were still going to say no, but we thought it would be difficult. <laughs> Instead, the offer was for what I would what I would describe. I, I I feel like I can't be specific for legal reasons, but I would describe it as low four figures. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I replied, I thought to Hank, saying, um, "This is ridiculous. I wouldn't do it for a hundred times that." <laughs> and I did not reply just to Hank. I replied to everyone, and they said, "Okay." Uh, kind of. They were like, well, let's talk about that. And yeah. I was just like, no! They were like, like, if you are the kind of person who can offer that amount while having the flexibility up to that other amount, I feel already very manipulated by right, you. Exactly. We already can't work together just based on your, like, the the range of your negotiating. Yeah. It's unacceptable to yeah. us. Clearly, if you were willing to pay that much, you shouldn't have offered the other number. This next question comes from Georgia, who asked Deergans, I feel very exposed for having talked about that at all. Like, I'm a jerk for, for turning down any money. I really enjoy candles. This is from Georgia. Yeah. I usually burn a lavender candle while I'm studying to attempt to release myself from the prison of stress that constantly surrounds me. I'm confused to this. 
I am confused as to this. Where does all the wax go? Is the wax somehow evaporating? I didn't think that that could happen. And if it does, what happens when it condenses? Is there a thin layer of wax on the ceiling of my study? Or is it just floating in the air and now my study is 97% candle? How do candles even work? Help me. Candles and coffee, Georgia, Georgia Green. Candles and Coffee, Georgia. First of all, you have a study? That's awesome. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. And she's, she's included a picture of her candle, and it's it's uh, clearly decreased in candleness. Hank, I don't know the answer to this question, because I think the last time I intentionally lit a candle was during my first French kiss. Like you were currently, like you had a tongue in someone else's mouth and a lighter on a candle? No, I lit the candle, and it was the last day of camp. You've heard this story before. Oh, yeah. And I wrapped my arms around my girlfriend, and my hair caught on fire. My hair burned. I mean, that candle, like, there's this ceremony at that summer camp. It's like yeah. everybody gets candles, yeah. and you sing a song, and then everybody hugs each other, which is just like lighting each other on fire. Well, each there's, other's It's hair. the only thing that happens. The yeah. entire summer camp smells like burned hair. Yeah, my first... Every my first, time. Why first, do they keep doing this? Well, I mean... They probably don't. Years, they, probably they probably stopped don't. by now. These days, what do they probably use? Like, just iPhone... Um, yeah, iPhone flashlights. Yeah, yeah. The answer to your question, Georgia, and I'm going to answer this non-scientifically, and then Hank's going to answer it scientifically. The answer to your question is that the wax goes to heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's where it lives now. Uh, so candles are made up of like a uh, fuel. So that paraffin is, a, you know, it's fossil fuel at this point. Probably is where it came from. Sometimes it comes from bees, but usually it comes from. It's like extracted from oil. Uh, and it burns just like any other fuel. It turns into carbon dioxide and water for the most part. And uh, so it is It is the wax of the candle that is burning. So in the same way when you burn a log, like the log goes away because it turns into gas. When you burn a candle, it goes away because it turns into gas. That's what's pretty up. Cool. It's pretty cool. I was very confused about that myself at one point, and then I was like, I thought that like the candle existed to like keep the wick from burning. That's what I thought too. Yeah, but no, the wick is there to bring the the liquid paraffin up uh, oh. to the flame. This question comes from Jameson, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, every day I ride the bus to school, and every day I sit in the exact same seat. It's the perfect seat right at the front, so I don't need to walk a long way. I'm first off the bus." I'm on the right-hand side, so I don't make awkward eye contact with the bus driver in the large rearview mirror, and I'm away from all the noisy kids in the back. I couldn't ask for a better seat at 7 o'clock in the morning. Jesus Christ, Jameson, they make you go to school at 7 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> this is a prison camp? <laughs> Good God. That's when I went to school. It's a form of torture. It's terrible. Who wants to learn anything at 7 o'clock in the morning, let alone calculus? It is not a good system. Oh, I it is not a good system. Stomach. Like, there's lots of research that's like, this is a bad thing. Well, Especially with teenagers. research to know like, it. I've been a teenager who woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning once. Yeah, teenagers have delayed, like, like there's a thing that happens when you reach, you know, your teenage years. is You start, like, naturally staying up later and getting up later. And we do the opposite to them in school. It's... It's a thing that I'd like that's like legitimately upsetting. There's lots of like sort of structural logistical reasons why we do it, but it's very bad for actual education. I mean, then I would argue the structural reasons aren't that good. Right. Well, all right. Anyway, that's not Jameson's question. For the last couple of days, my seat has been taken over by other kids on the bus. I know they probably have no ill intent, but you can't just switch where you sit one day. They see me rolling. I'm hating Jameson. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, 
you can just switch where you sit, Jameson. Unfortunately, yeah, there is no rule about who uh-huh. gets to sit where on the bus. Now, I, I mean, you had were. a good seat for a long time, and now you don't anymore. Like you could go, like you're just you're you're where you are on the bus route. You have to pick a seat from the available seats. I would say maybe you can go to the people who are sitting there now, and you can say, listen. Is this something that is a big deal for you? Because it is kind of a big deal for me. Now, it has been a while since I was a high school student. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have will, to admit... I will I not make that I, suggestion. I, I didn't crush it as a high school student, and that might be part of why. You And you have to deal... You have, so you have to deal with this, and you have to deal with it at 7 o'clock in the morning when no one, no one on the bus wants to be awake. Everybody is just awake and hating it. All right, Hank, this question comes from Chin, who writes, Dear John and Hank, do you think if you tell someone you love them again and again enough times it loses its meaning? Does it matter if you say it when you aren't actually feeling love for them in that moment specifically, but you know you love them present tense, not just then, but all the time? I'm not very good at words, but I hope you get what I mean. Pumpkins and penguins, Chin. (laughs) I think you explained that really well. I think you are really good at words, Chin. I think you're underselling yourself. Here's the thing. I do not believe that love is a feeling. Tell me more, wise sir. So when I was doing my Catholic engaged encounter, the two days <laughs> sure. I mean, were the most the, important in my life. Seriously, he brings up the Catholic engaged encounter with me more than anything. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. I think that's great. And like, maybe we should all be doing this Catholic engagement. Like, at least I think everybody should have two days where they like are forced to talk with the people they love about stuff. Yeah. Right, I agree. So I, we, Sarah and I, when we were engaged, we did this two-day Catholic engagement encounter. I did not want to do it at all. I begged Sarah when we were in the parking lot of the monastery to just skip it. This was stupid. Monastery? Oh, yeah. Whoa. I had to bunk with strangers. Were there monks? Yes. <laughs> it was a stressful situation. I'm not Catholic. I don't know a lot about Catholicism, and it was a stressful situation. However, it was incredibly helpful because they asked us big questions that we had to write essays back about, to back and forth to each other that wow. we still read however many years later. Anyway, I, at the Catholic Engagement Counter, they told us that love is a feeling, but it is also a decision. Mm. And to me, when you say I love you again and again and again, what you are definitely doing, regardless of the feeling, is reaffirming that decision that you are you have decided to be. And I know that sounds kind of unromantic and I apologize, but I think that like parts of love are parts of romantic love are super romantic and parts of romantic love are not. And I think that's okay. So, yeah, I don't know what that noise was, but please mute your phone. That is, that is all I had to say, and I'm going to let Hank's phone take it from here. <laughs> I like that I asked you to mute your phone, and then the first thing you did was make your phone make another noise. I didn't make it make a noise. You were like, oh, I know how to make it make a different noise. I didn't. Catherine's texting me. Please, I, I have like 15 minutes to finish this. Well, it's going to take longer than that. Okay, well, it, it isn't. I'm going to make you leave. <laughs> so, uh, this next question comes from Kenya, who asks, Dear Hank and John, what do you think would be the best... Uh, food to build a house out of, considering structural integrity, vi- vi- considering structural integrity, livability, and environment. This question came up on a road trip, and since we couldn't agree on the best answer, we're asking you. No, I can't. Kenya. Oh, I got it. Yeah, it took, took me a yeah, second. It took me a second too. Here's uh, the thing, Kenya. Yeah. Okay. Hit me. I've thought about this a lot. I have as well. 
Peanut M&M's. Oh, well, I mean, the thing, like, gingerbread houses seem to last a long time. Yeah, but that is not an edible food. Gingerbread houses are edible food? I mean, if you are extremely highly motivated, maybe. If you are experiencing some kind of, like, if you're overhydrated and you need something to dry out your mouth... (laughs) That's when you need gingerbread. I drink too much water. Quick. I like a gingerbread cookie, but nobody likes a gingerbread house. No. Well, I mean, little bits of it. You're you're right. You're right. But, like, but this isn't like, this is what food? And that's food. But, 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 wait for this one. Okay. What animal is it food for? Is it food for a beaver wood? Bob, build your house out of wood. Build your house out of wood because it's beaver food. That's good. Or build your house out of bricks because everybody knows that Mm. unicorns eat bricks. Yeah, maybe. Or you build your house out of... What if you build your house out of glass and steel? Because Mm -hmm. that's a wonderful meal if you're a... Genetically engineered microorganism that is genetically engineered to eat glass and steel. That's good, Hank. That was nice and tight. (laughs) Tight. It's... We're very tired. Hank and I have been on the road together for like 13 days. It's I've never been this tired. I have been this tired. I am a, I, the, the, the bus sleeping has made me quite sore. I, my back hurts sleeping a lot. Sleeping on the bus is one of the least fun sleeps I've ever yeah. had. There's, a, there's an, a number of pains that I didn't really expect I would have. Also, there is a noise in the back, in the back four bunks. There mm-hmm. is a noise. You know that noise? Have you heard that noise? No, no, no. no. There's a constant like banging noise that is at first it's like oh that's a pretty that's that's a soft noise it sounds almost like just like a little drum just like a little drum beat and then like one hour into trying to go to sleep you're like that is actually the loudest noise that has ever happened and it isn't like a little drum beat because it's just random enough (laughs) to make my brain not be able to calm down so here, Hank and I are complaining about our very fancy tour bus <laughs> and the poor quality of sleep that we get on it. Oh, my God. Uh, well, We're an embarrassment. We are. This question comes from Liam, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, my boyfriend, who I love dearly, has recently taken a political stance I find troubling. Well, what is the political stance? Oh, he says, Some people from our school want to start a conservative club, and he's currently trying to get the club banned because he doesn't want to give them the platform. I don't think that just because somebody disagrees with my values... They shouldn't be allowed a space to discuss their opinions. I just don't really know what to say to him because it's weird and I don't want to be rude. Liam. Mm. Well, disagreeing isn't necessarily being rude. Yeah. Because you're going like, to have relationships with people and you're going to have differences of opinion. Right. When you love each other, you're going to disagree and you're going to have to learn how to respectfully listen and also sometimes like disagree in an ongoing way. Sometimes I worry if I agree too much with a person because I think they're just trying to avoid conflict. Right. And I'm um, like, well, but do you really think all of the things that I think? And it's, and I like, yeah, because yeah. I don't, I don't, like you have to be your own people and that means that you're going to have moments where then it's okay to disagree and like, and to have those conversations and to come out of it not having come to a conclusion where you're both on the same page. Although I have to say, Hank, that I feel like you and I, when we disagree, I don't want to generalize, but every time we've disagreed in the last, like, year or so, six weeks after our disagreement, <laughs> you call me and you say you were right all along. That's, it's happened. It has happened. I'm not going to say every single disagreement we've had because I don't keep a list. I mean, I, I'll be like, I'm pretty sure that the social internet is bad for the social order. And Hank will be like, that's ridiculous. How could you make such that's a... Not what I, I, that's not what I said. 
But I have come around to your perspective. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. That's that's how I feel about this situation. This yeah. question comes from Jaden, who says, you, you, you have to learn to love each other and disagree and do mm-hmm. it productively. Jaden says, Dear John and Hank, if you find one sock in the dryer, do you have an extra sock or a missing sock? I mean, that's a great way to think about it, because, like, obviously you have a missing sock. Because it's not like you didn't have the socks before. Right. Like, you had the socks and then one disappeared. Probably. Unless you have a new sock, which is, in many ways, more upsetting. It's more disturbing if your washing machine or dryer is creating socks from the materials of the universe. <laughs> like, that's good. It's concern to me just because just like, artificial intelligence has gotten too good. Yeah, like well, like the lint drawer like popped out and it was like, you know, I've got enough for <laughs> a Argyle cotton one. It's gonna have some elastic bits too. Boy, I tell oh, you what, man. this is the not how entropy works. Uh, <laughs> I 3D printed this sock for you and then put it in the back of myself. <laughs> Thank you for drawing with me. I, uh, yeah, I put your favorite slogan on it. It says "Memento Mori." Available at Deep. It's not. It's not yet. It's not. Yet. Um, I like this idea though because it, I never thought of losing a sock as a glass half full situation. Right. At least I didn't lose both socks. But it kind of is. Yeah, if I've got the, I've got it this extra is. sock now. And now, and then you can like, I think you can do some cool things with unmatching socks. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think about just not wearing matching socks? So I did that for many years. I wore mismatching Argyle intentionally. socks almost every day, okay. intentionally. And I wish I could say, like, in my teens, but, like, <laughs> in my early 30s, um, <laughs> I wore mismatching uh, Argyle socks intentionally most days. And it solved some problems and it created others. What I've found in, uh, more recently in my life is that I will wear mismatching socks when I have singles. Mm-hmm. But I like pairing my socks for a variety of reasons. I just think it makes everyone's life a little bit easier, both for laundry and for right. yeah. getting dressed in the morning. Mm-hmm. That way I don't have to like double the amount of time I spend thinking about socks. Like, what would go with this purple argyle sock instead of being like green or red? I could just be like, oh, a the purple. other purple, purple argyle sock. So here's the thing that I did not, until my 30s, do. Yeah. Which is... I have a separate spot for the singles. Because what great. happens is, like, if I do a load of laundry, what might, it might not be that I lost the sock. I might just be in the next one, and then, like, but, like, if I've, I've got this sock, I just throw it in with the other socks. So, like, an, like an unpaired sock with the paired socks. And who, like, when that other sock shows back up, it might be the next day. It might be three weeks from now. But if I put the singles in a separate spot, and then, like, I can go through that every once in a while and be like, okay, this single has been sitting here unmatched. I can get rid of that or turn it into a dish rag or something. Don't wash your dishes with a foot. Very bad. Foot dress. holder. Don't Very do that. Dress. That's, that's a place where your stink butt, butt foot goes. <laughs> said stink butt foot. It's a real high quality podcast. It's real good. Uh, yeah. You get what I'm saying. I totally do. Let's move on don't to have, the question. Uh, can I explain it more fully? Uh, please don't. <laughs> I, think we're all, I think we all got there. This question comes from Eleanor who writes, Dear Brothers Green, my beloved colleague is the light of my life. I love him like the seas love the moon. I'm worried about where this is going to go. However, I know because every time we get a question and the first sentence is about the dog, by the end of the email, the dog is dead. 
Or, or like, what should we do about my dying dog? Right, and I'm make just like, the, I can't, I can't, the, I'm stressed out enough about my own dying dog. I can't deal with yours. However, he is very frightened of the toaster. Oh, things are taking a positive turn. Oh, good. I mean, here's great news, Eleanor. Your collie is fine. <laughs> Every time we try to make toast, he holds onto one of his toys like a security blanket, starts whining and barking, and is Aww. clearly distressed. That is sad. Yeah. We've tried shutting him out of the kitchen, distracting him, shushing and fussing over him, but so far, no luck. I would give up toast if I had to, but if you provide a possible solution, I'd be very grateful, as I do like toast. All and right. She signs off, Lupus Canis Toaster, which Google translates to, Toaster is a wolf to dog. <laughs> Eleanor. <laughs> Eleanor, that was fantastic. <laughs> it's a fantastic email all around. You also sent in a very cute picture of your border collie looking very distressed. I mean, okay, I'm gonna say it. Toasters are stressful. Toasters are stressful. Absolutely. I, how come I have been toasting my whole life and yet still, when the toast pops out of the toaster, I'm like, Ugh! like yeah. as if a man has broken into my house with an ax is yeah. how I feel. I, I, can I just make an observation before we move on with this question? Mm -hmm. I feel like right now, um, we just did this show in front of 1,100 people, and I feel like this is a great example of the difference between Hank and me, because Hank has so much energy right now. Like, he is, like, bursting with energy. There's a man with an axe in his house <laughs> and the toaster, and it's great. And I feel like... I have been drained of all of my lifeblood. I feel like... Uh, <laughs> and I, I was like, like, John, do you want to go pod? I feel like Voldemort just drank all of my unicorn blood, and now I'm trying to, like, stagger out of the forbidden forest. And Hank's like... <laughs> Give me a grape! Eleanor, I have great news. I have a solution to this problem. Hmm. Don't toast your toast in the toaster, man. Where should I toast it? In the microwave. I disappointed in you. That's not toasting. That's hotting. Yeah. You just get you just get glutinous squishiness. It's very warm and it's very soggy and it's delicious. You just Okay, it's not toast. It's a uh, warm bread. Correct. As I'm, bread. I'm on page. What about the oven? What about the oven? You can what do it. You could. You could do it in the oven. You could. Oven. You could also get a toaster oven, which is, I think, much less terrifying. Uh, it than is, a toaster. but it still makes that like it still has that countdown, which is a little stressful, and then it's like, ding. Yeah. But you could just stop. In my experience, we have a toaster oven because, I mean, now I'm gonna sound weird, but like I, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't like toaster ovens with their with the binging. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm fine with it. As a reminder, but I don't want it to be a requirement to acquire toast. Right. So well, we it, found it a toaster oven that you can just turn set. off without the binging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most toaster ovens have the ability to be a little oven, and you just like set it to four fifty, yeah. and you toast. It was twenty bucks, though, Eleanor, and I don't know what your budget is for toaster ovens, but um, that seems like the easiest solution. And then the second solution would just be to microwave your bread and turn it into like a hot. Nasty, soggy ball, but, buttery goo ball. Yeah, yeah. Actually, now that I've said the phrase "buttery goo ball," I actually kind of want a one. This podcast, by the way, brought to you by Buttery Goo Balls. Yep. Buttery Goo Ball brand, Buttery Goo Balls, available wherever Buttery Goo Balls are sold. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you by uh, accidentally sending a voice memo to somebody you have a crush on. Aye, aye, accidentally aye. sending a voice memo to somebody you have a crush on, just. Run away and everything will be fine, but not for like seven years. This podcast is also brought to you by the air in your study, which is now 97% candle wax. 
And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by Jameson School. Jameson School, starting at seven? <laughs> no good. This episode of Dear Hang Jones brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it. So it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. All right. Hank, let's answer a couple more questions from our listeners before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon like to delay the news from Mars and Nancy Wimbledon as long as possible. This question comes from Mickey, who asks, Dear Brothers Green, I have a fear that some may consider irrational. I am scared of Elon Musk. He just seems like the guy in every movie that you suspect to be the main villain as soon as they walk on screen. There's something very Lex Luthorian about him and freaks me out. Perhaps this whole rich guy who wants to explore space thing. I don't trust it. P.S. I'm not convinced you two are completely trustworthy either. I'm so fine I may blow your mind, Mickey. No, uh, it's a good one, Mickey. I also don't have a ton of trust in us. Um, <laughs> I, I think, Mickey, here's the thing. I think it makes sense to be distrustful of uh, people who benefit from existing power structures because they will always be biased by how much they've benefited from those power structures. That is a good, that is a good point. I also think that it is good to be a little bit suspicious of billionaires because that's a lot of money and you don't get all of it by being nice. I will say that probably there are a lot of billionaires that we don't hear about that we should be more suspicious of. Yes, I actually am less suspicious of Elon Musk than I am because of at least he's like a public, like I know that billionaire, billionaire. Yeah, most I agree. billionaires are very quiet about it, doing yeah. things behind the scenes. They like they have timeshare companies and stuff. I I think um, what's a timeshare company? I, I, do you really want me to get into the business of timeshares when I'm so tired? I feel like I might die at any moment. <laughs> Can you go give me an update on the Plata Hotel Transylvania behind me? Uh, the Hotel Transylvania, there's a bat and there's a sewing. I believe we've entered the beginning of Act Three. I think mm. things got as bad as they could get, and now this invisible uh, thing with glasses is putting on its makeup, and it's very charming. Okay, so to move back to the question, I don't think there's anything. 
Hank, please stop watching Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> we have to end this podcast. But I, so I, I think when you have a lot, a lot, a lot of resources, people should be a little suspicious of you. They should hold you to a high standard. Mm-hmm. And like, same thing when you have a lot, a lot, a lot of power. Yeah. I also like, I kind of worry about Elon Musk's health. Like he seems to be going hard. He's a hard charger, but I mean, some people want to look. You only get one ride on this carousel, and some people really want to suck the marrow out of life. I'm not one of them, (laughs) uh, but some people do. (laughs) That's what a nibble around the edges of life. I'm not a marrow guy. Yeah, you know, like you're not like like hitting life with a rock to get at that last calorie. No. Yeah. No, I'm. I, I I only like the very precious cuts of meat. Yeah. What? What? I'll just take the good. Yeah. Just the the fine. The fine. This metaphor has is not great. It's led to a troubling situation. I don't like it. We're both suspicious of Elon Musk, but I also have to say I really like a lot of what Elon Musk is doing, and I think that um, he's a fascinating person. And I have to say, overall, I am glad that he is in the world, and I, I I do wish him well, and I wish him much success because we need people, especially when it comes to responsible energy usage and figuring out yeah. like sustainable energy solutions. We need the smartest people on those problems, and Elon Musk is on that problem. Unlike most of the smartest people who are you know selling timeshares or whatever, getting making billions doing yeah. Walmarting, doing Walmarting. Being the third generation Walmart. Yeah, where, you know, Heirs. Turn, turning money into more money through money, th- questionable money instruments. It's my favorite line in uh, Jonathan Lethem's novel, Chronic City. One of the uh, characters describes his job as moving the pile of money around, trying to make it bigger. <laughs> it's, 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 it's worked some. But I do worry about the long-term sustainability of, of uh, just rolling rolling the money ball as it sticks to more and more money. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's katam- uh, Katamari, but with money. So, John. Yes. What is the news from AFC Wimbledon? The news from AFC Wimbledon. Since we last potted, Hank, there was this huge spurt of hope. AFC Wimbledon won two games in a row, scoring a total of four goals in those two games, which nearly doubled their number of goals for the entire this season. Is good. This is good. Things were looking good, but then mm. then then AFC Wimbledon played Plymouth Argyle, who were in the very basement of League One. The I mean, worst like the, team they were, in League they're, One. Yeah, doing even worse than AFC Wimbledon. Yes, and lost. That's it was a right. home game. Oh, God. And we lost to Plymouth Argyle 1-0. And this means that now, after 15 games, AFC Wimbledon have accrued 15 points. That is probably not a pace that is good enough to not get relegated. We will probably have to improve the number of points per game above one yeah. to not get relegated. So So you'll you'll you have to start winning some games. Winning or tying. Okay. But winning would be even better. Yes. Mm-hmm. Would, Just stop losing. Would be great to stop losing. You know what would be great? Goals. Goals, Hank. Scoring AFC Wimbledon goals, yeah. has scored uh, uh, eight goals. Eight goals in what games? Sixteen? Eight goals in fifteen games. That's like a... That's not great. It's not a lot of goals. I'm sorry to hear this uh, situation about 
AF Wimbledon and goals. Thank you. The Mars. Yes. Uh, so NASA has just discovered a weird, weird thing about Mars. So uh, as you know, Mars does not have a magnetic field. Right. It doesn't have a strong magnetic field, but it turns out it does have something of a magnetic field. So its magnetic field shut down a long time ago. Um, but there is some residual magnetic field, and I'm not entirely clear on where that's coming from. If it's like permanent dipoles left over from like the inducement of the old magnetic field, or if there's just still some stuff moving around inside of it, which it seems like there might still be a little bit of, of uh, volcanic activity, maybe down in the in the depths there. Um, though certainly nothing that would do make the kind of magnetic field that the the Earth has. Um, but weird thing, uh, Mars. It turns out, and the way that that like this weak magnetic field interferes with the solar wind is with these like high energy particles being pushed out by the sun, uh, is creating this weird magnetic tail. Like rather than a magnetic sphere around a planet, it's like this tail thing. That's, like Mars is a comet, and the magnetic like field a, is a tail. Yeah, it's like it's weird because like, as it travels around the sun, it's leaving this tail behind. It, it, it's it is apparently according to Gino DiBracchio of NASA's Goddard Spike. Goddard Space Flight Center. Uh, it's uh, unique in the solar system. She's calling it a magneto tail, just because that sounds good. That sounds great. Yeah, um, and it may be that this uh, this tail uh, actually had something to do with uh, the mechanism of how the atmosphere of Mars was stripped away. So all this, uh, the gases that maybe just like evaporated water, carbon dioxide. Um, that was once around the planet has been pushed off. They think this might have something to do with that. Which is part of why it's hard place to be to live. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that just makes me think that someday our magnetic field might turn into a magnetic tail, and then everyone will be like, "Was there ever life on this planet?" Probably not. No, they'll be able to see the stuff. Will they? I mean, for a while. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> to Dear Hank and John, <laughs> truly a comedy podcast about death. Uh, um, it, it, this was great fun potting with you, Hank. I'm so tired. <laughs> no, I'm sorry I made you do this. I was fun. Okay. I'm so tired, though. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, we're not going to record this week in Ryan's. No, we aren't. We, we are barely had enough to record this podcast, which is why it's so short. We yeah. apologize. But uh, we will, uh, we'll be back next week with both This Week in Ryan's and a full just brilliant episode oh, of the park. we're going to hit it out of the park. Everything that this wasn't, that will be. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Uh, our theme music is by the great Granarola. Our community and communications manager is Victoria Bongiorno. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.